0: Hello, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest of the United States. Today is the 19th of February, 2020, and we're going to be discussing the inflammasome and associations with the coronavirus and mechanisms that are involved in the production of an inflammasome, the inflammatory response specifically in the human. So let's get started. Specifically, I want to discuss with you sphingolipids as mediators of the inflammasome and discuss the formation of the inflammasome itself and its potency related to the production of sphingolipids uh, in the human system. So what have we learned so far in our discussion of the coronavirus, the current coronavirus that is mostly in mainland China, People's Republic of China, but which has spread now in many different loci across the globe, but that is quite limited and rare in most other uh, geographical areas except in the Far East. What we've learned so far from my Authentic Biochemistry podcasts and video lectures from earlier in February are the following. The coronavirus is an epizootic human pathogen that mutates in alternate animal hosts, Transmission and viral replication require receptor-mediated movement of the virion and subsequent cytosolic synthesis of genomic and subgenomic RNA, where the former represents the genome of the next generation of the virus, and the latter, of course, is the source of viral proteins that facilitate frank replicase activity, packaging, intracellular ER ER-Golgi plasma lemma trafficking, and, of course, the induction of the inflammatory response that presents as symptom and results in the morbidity and rare still mortality associated with the outbreak of that current um, coronavirus that is now uh, in mostly people's approach to China in early 2020, <laughs> starting first in late uh, 2019, in December of 2019, and now into still February, so this is three months long. Second thing we've learned is that ceramide sphingomyelin, interferons, the inflammasome itself, cytokines, chemokines, pattern recognition receptors, or PRRs, toll-like receptors, nod-like receptors, DAMPs and PAMPs, and those are molecular patterns, either damage-associated or pathogen-associated molecular patterns, and transcription factors are all networked canonical agents. Uh, the cellular and signaling pathways of that disease. Bioenergetics within epithelial and immune cell lineages play a role in disease severity and lung tissue damage, as in also the infiltration and activation of inflammatory macrophages and monocytes, which we've talked about in the previous lectures. (laughs) Lipids must serve several functions here. First of all, as membrane components, signaling molecules, and, of course, is bioenergetic substrates. All right. Now, paper published, The Frontiers of Cell and Developmental Biology, in 2019, uh, late, and then it was published online on January 14, 2020, tells us the following. inflamosomes trigger dimerization of a protease caspase 1 and the generation, of course, of pro-inflammatory cytokines like IL-18, at 18 and IL-1-beta, where the activation of pattern recognition receptors, PRRs, by PAMPs, plus or minus DAMPs, remember those are pathogen-associated or damage-associated molecular patterns, induce the unique formation of specific inflammasome structures. <clears throat> and there are specific structures and substructures. What do inflammasomes do? They provide a pathogen-linked host defense system. Unregulated or superactivated inflammasomes can cause hyperinflammation, auto-inflammation, and a sustained inflammation, thus resulting in neurodegenerative as well as endocrine, paracrine, autocrine, and morbidity and mortality, all associated with virulent pathogens, okay? Distinction between defense or destructive inflammasome biology therefore becomes an important biomedical problem because uh, you have to resolve this, whether or not it's defensive or destructive, before you can get to an experimental design directed toward a pharmacotherapeutic strategy, if indeed you're going to use this information to develop one. <clears throat> now, ceramide is produced by the acid sphingomyelinase, an ASM. And that actually activates the inflammasome. ASM, that is the acid sphingomyelinase, catalyzed ceramide production drastically changes physiological characteristics of the membrane structure because you're making a different hydrophobic um, lipid species within the membrane. You have sphingomyelin, now you're generating ceramide. So it has a different chemistry, and therefore a different biology because of structure function relationships. So when it does that, you get a reorganizing molecule in a signaling cascade system within the cell, and that will include all kinds of things like cellular differentiation and proliferation, <coughs> tumor presentation, pathogen recognition, as well as inflammation signaling pathways. So the ASM does a lot of things, that string of myelonism. Now, the PAMPs and DAMPs induce the inflammasome to activate caspase-1, that protease. And that proteolytic processing occurs to a functional pro-inflammatory cytokine IL-1 beta, and il one beta. So PAMPs are conserved molecules of microbes and includes things like viruses and bacteria and fungi, bacterial secretion systems, and their effector proteins. All of that are PAMPs. While the damps are a series of host-derived signals with quite a variation of biochemical structures, ATP, uric acid, crystals even formation, reactive oxygen species, ROS of all kinds, and indeed even things like heat shock proteins are all damps. Now, the pattern recognition receptors, or PRRs, trigger a sensor activation followed by an oligomerization and ultimately, really, the recruitment of apoptosis-associated speck-like protein containing CARD, or ASC. And those include a pyrin domain and a cask-based recruitment domain. So PRRs can be divided into two major subtypes. There's the transmembrane proteins found in the endosome and the plasma membrane, such as toll-like receptors. And then there's the intracellular compartments, including the AIM-2-like receptor, or ALRs, AIM-like receptors, you see. And the NOD-like receptors, the NLRs, and the RIG-like receptors, or the RLRs, <coughs> respectively. ASC networks, okay, it was a SPEC-like protein-containing card the upstream inflammasome sensor molecule 2-caspase-1 and the inactive pro-interleukin-18 and pro-interleukin-1-beta are cleaved by protease caspase-1 to generate the product bioactive inflammasome cytokines IL-18 and IL-1-beta, respectively. Thus, caspase-1 is also essential for the rigors of the programmed inflammatory cell death called pyroptosis. Pyroptosis, which is different from apoptosis, which I've described earlier, previous lectures. So then you have something called the NLRP inflammasome, and that requires priming first, and then activating, priming by the NLR protein. It's a basal expression of NLRP3 is insufficient for NLRP3 inflammasome activation. So the recruitment of PAMPs and DAMPs with pattern recognition receptors, such as the TLRs, tolic receptors, or the nucleotide-binding oligomerization domain-containing protein 2, NAD2-linked receptors, leads to a nuclear factor kappa B or NF-kappa B activation, and then the nascent NLRP3 inflammasome is triggered looking 1 receptor associated kinases called IRAC1s and ubiquitin exert a post transcriptional regulation in the NLRP priming step, which after the inflammasome uh, is generated and it is full, becomes fully activated. So the NLRP3 responds to a variety of stimuli, stimuli signals. Uh, those are vari- variables such as the flux of potassium. The influx of calcium, lysosomal rupture, mitochondrial dysfunction, and of course the production of reactive oxygen species, where the ROS and even ATP-activated mitochondrial ROS from the oxidative transport chain are necessary for the activation, indeed, of the Frank NLRP3 inflammasome. The inflammasome activation is, of course, suppressed when ROS production is inhibited. Therefore, fatty acid peroxidation, associated mitochondrial and peroxisomal redox cycles are all instantiating for inflammasome activation. Now, more about myelin, Okay, We've got the idea now that this inflammasome is triggered by ceramides. Let's go back into the detail of this. The metabolism of sphingomyelin to ceramide and phosphorylcholine is only one means to generate ceramide. <coughs> the other two pathways being the de novo pathway, de novo synthesis, starting with palmitate and serine. And of course, the salvage pathway, which involves sphingosine itself. There are neutral sphingomyelinases and acids, so NSMs and ASMs. And that depends on the location in the cell. And of course, the pH optima for the activity uh, and with the ASM, of course, is associated with canonically acidic subcellular compartments because it's acid, sphingomyelinase. Historically described in inborn errors in metabolism include those where there is a reduction in or absence of a unique ASM, isoform, that can cause a pathological deposition of sphingomyelin in such lysosomal storage disorders, including, of course, the Nyman-Pick disease diseases types A and B. In earlier research, the ASM, as the acidic sphingomyelin, is characterized as only localized to the lysosome. And of course, that's got an acidic pH. But it was decades later, like well into the th- uh, 2000s, that it was revealed that some ASM catabolized lipoprotein-associated sphingomyelin at pHs at near uh, a little bit above neutrality, pH 7.4, for example. And that led to discovery that the LASM, okay, um, can be in two different forms. So you can have a secretory ASM, which is SASM, and then you have the LASM, which is, of course, the lysosomal form. And that's going to be located on endolysosomal vesicles. So then you have two subtypes of the ASM, the, the secretory and the lysosomal. Now, apparently those two forms of ASM foster an alternative post-translational modification and a trafficking of that encoded polypeptide, the, the sphingomyelinase. So the lysosome form is involved in clustering of lipid raths and endothelial cells, for example, so it's a different function. <coughs> the ASM enzyme itself, both forms, are controlled via oxidation, bacterial and viral infection, irradiation, ionic transport, protease activity, and, of course, the production of ROS, with the latter being a thoroughly studied process and the extracellular secretion of ASM, which, of course, is induced directly by hydrogen peroxide. ASM-associated ceramide-enriched domains can be blocked by gene silencing of a GP91-FOX, that's PHOX protein which is, of course, a subunit of NADPH oxidase. So ASM activation can be induced via dimerization by this direct oxidation of a C-terminal cysteine molecule. Collectively, data suggests that ROS are needed for fully functional ASM activity, but the saturation kinetics and the potential for turnover inhibition haven't actually been well-documented or examined. Now, unlike DAG, okay, remember DAG is diacylglycerol, which is an active intermediate in both phosphoglycerol lipid synthesis and triacylglycerol or neutral lipid synthesis, ceramide, which has a kind of, in quotation marks, similar structure, is found in the plasma membrane, Okay. That's important because this endomembranous system uh, where you find ceramide is further elaborated. You find ceramide, okay, in the plasma membrane and the endomembranous systems like the mitochondrial envelope, the endoplasmic reticulum, and the Golgi. So you have a broader subcellular association of ceramide than you do with diacylglycerol, Okay. So again, DAG, right, diacylglycerol, is critical intermediate, whereas ceramide plays a much more signaling role. Although it's arguable, really, because DAG does stimulate protein kinase C, and that goes on to become a really powerful canonical signaling pathway. So ceramide and DAG are both really important for signaling. So a de minimis, or 5 to 10 mole percent of ceramide, is nevertheless adequate to automatically promote the construction of ceramide rich platforms in a membrane phospholipid bilayer. ASM, recall, cleaves myelin to ceramide, and that lipid is known to spontaneously self associate and to construct small but potent ceramide rich membrane rafts. And the fusing of those membrane rafts together builds a large ceramide rich domain platform, which can serve to transform. Overall membrane fluid dynamics. Ceramide-rich platforms mobilize, for example, transport membrane proteins. They aggregate cellular receptors, and they can deliver signaling molecules after exposure to a diverse set of stimulations, including pathogen a uh, in response to pathogen invasion. Now, the fatty acyl amide-linked chain of ceramide. Um, so uh, ends on lipid rafts via the production of a gel phase transition and isotropy. So that makes for a closed end on these lipid rafts when you make ceramide, a closed end, which makes them, of course, less vulnerable to further metabolism. So, so these ceramide rafts are also... Uh, involved in recognition and clustering of receptors and signaling molecules, and that leads to a large increase in receptor density, thus the structural modification of receptors, activation of downstream signaling targets, and ultimately even the excluding of suppressor proteins, all because of these ceramide rafts. (coughs) Of course, ceramide in its own right is a very potent secondary messenger. Ceramide domains can interact and activate various enzymes. For example, lysosomal hydrolase cathepsin D, phospholipase A2, and kinase suppressor of RAS, or KRAS. ASM ceramide system is critical to the host to recognize, internalize, and indeed eliminate infectious microbes, and the ASM ceramide and ceramide platforms then, therefore, are essential for reorganizing cellular structures known as signalosomes. Signalosomes. okay? So the sphingomyelinase ceramide system and the inflammasome signaling is also associated with fibrosis, fibrosis after tissue injury. So you can have PAMPs and DAMPs localized to the plasma membrane. You can have the NADPH oxidase making reactive oxygen. The PAMPs and DAMPs are going to turn on the mitochondrial uh, system to produce ROS because of inhibition or alteration of the electron transport chain. That ROS is then going to uh, mediate in the lysosome the production of these cathepsins. And those cathepsins then are going to go on after, after uh, the release from lysos- lysosomal rupture to the inflammasomal activation we just talked about. See, so that then ultimately leads to a subsequent cytokine production and a TGF1 beta activation. All that contributes ultimately to cellular apoptosis, tissue injury, and then subsequent filling back in with fibrosis, okay? So remember, this whole PAMP stamps acid, uh, acid sphingomyelinase and associated with an NDPH oxidase It's going to trigger a response in the mitochondria because we're generating ceramide. It's going to produce reactive oxygen, which is going to then cause the lysosomal membrane to rupture, release the cathepsins. The cathepsins are going to cause the production of the inflammasome by associating the NLRP3, the ASC, and the caspase-1. Then that's gonna generate TGF1-beta and production of collagen, and that's gonna give you tissue injury and fibrosis. Same time, interleukin-1-beta and TNF-alpha are gonna, of course, produce apoptosis in those cells, which have been stimulated. Now back to this paper (laughs) and cell death discovery that we've been talking about quite a bit in previous lectures. Cell Death Discovery, 2019, a June paper. SARS coronavirus, open reading frame 8B, triggered the intercellular stress pathway and activated that NLRP inflammasome. Okay? That's a paper published by Xi et al. Now remember, recall, there is a relationship with this current novel coronavirus-infected pneumonia it's the first name of it. It's called NCIP. And previous epidemics, let include SARS and MERS. We also remember that coronaviruses are enveloped positive sense RNA viruses. They're characterized by club-like spikes that project from the surface. They have an unusually large RNA genome, and they replicate in the cytosol of the host cell. All these coronaviruses cause enteritis, some of them do, in cows and pigs, and, of course, the upper respiratory tract infections, of domestic fowl of chickens, and they can transmit potentially generating lethal human respiratory infections, which is why we're interested in the current coronavirus. The recent past outbreaks have a highly pathogenic, severe, acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus, or SARS, C-O-V, and then the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus, or MERS, have been recognized as epidemiological agents with close association to this novel coronavirus that's incipiently causing the um, inflammatory pneumonia that we see in the lung. This is the current disease. So a paper published back in Cell Microbe in 2016 on February uh, 10th, and that's volume 19, page 181, ongoing, described found. A dysregulated type 1 interferon and inflammatory monocyte macrophage responses cause or induce a lethal pneumonia in a SARS-infected mouse model. The respiratory coronaviruses therefore cause acute lethal disease associated with inflammatory responses and frank lung damage. The robust virus replication is accompanied by a delayed type 1 interferon 1 signaling And that then orchestrates an inflammatory response and a long immunopathology with a diminished survival when it's studied in the mouse or murine model. So interferon interferon 1, IFN1, remains detectable until after the virus titers peak. But the early IFN1 administration, when it's administered ectopically, ameliorates immunopathology so that delayed interferon-1 signaling promotes the accumulation of pathogenic inflammatory monocytes macrophage lineages, IMMs. That results in an elevated, inflated lung cytokine-chemokine level, vascular leakage-impaired virus types T-cell responses. Genetic inbl- uh, ablation of the interferon-alpha-beta receptor, known as IFNAR, I-F-N-A-R, or IMM depletion, protects mice from lethal infection without affecting the viral load. Overall, the murine model then demonstrates that interferon-1 and these inflammatory macrophage myocyte lineages promote lethal SARS coronavirus infection and identify interferon-1 and those IMMs as a potential therapeutic target of patients infected with the pathogenic coronavirus. And maybe even that could be um, broadly I've transcribed out to other respiratory viruses. There's a, a dialectical proposition. The link between interferon and the inflammasome-associated damage in various disease states may link a coronavirus infection and a subsequent disease pathology. Okay, so that's the first link I want you to consider. This is a paper published in Journal of Neuroinflammation 2019, Volume 16, page 236, ongoing. Now, what is this paper going to tell us? Guess Journal of Neuroinflammation. Central nervous system resident microglia and astrocytes can produce cytokine type 1 interferons, T1 IFNs. They signal through heterodimeric interferon alpha-beta receptors. Those are the IFNARs, right? The binding of type 1 interferons with a receptor activates the JAK-STAT pathway, those are kinase pathways, it's a signaling kinase pathway, that leads to the transcriptional activation then of interferon-stimulated genes, or ISGs. Those then mediate both anti-inflammatory functions and pro-inflammatory functions of the type 1 interferons. And that depends on the cellular environment. Indeed, a type 1 interferon response in the CNS may result from viral infections and things like TBI, traumatic brain injury, and also neurodegeneration can activate the response. So the type 1 interferons can be protective protective or deleterious, as in multiple sclerosis MS, where the type 1 interferons are thought to exert and perform an anti-inflammatory response via the production of anti-inflammatory cytokinesis. IL-10, and it also induces simultaneous suppression of the pro-inflammatory cytokines, cytokines interleukin-1-beta. That is why interferon-beta is a first-line therapy for MS patients, as it limits the infiltration of lymphocytes into the brain and decreases relapse rate in spite of the evidence that target overexpression of interferon-gamma gene in the brains of mice associating with neuroinflammation and, of course, ultimately neurodegenerative disease. Obviously, the interferon subtype, its titration, its cellular residency are all critical to deal with a, a, an appreciation for this apparent contradiction. Okay. So we're going to stop there, and we're going to continue on with our discussion of sphingomyelins uh, on our next podcast, from Authentic Biochemistry. This is Dr. Daniel Guerra. Signing off on the 19th of February, 2020, uh, for authentic biochemistry on sphingolipid-mediated inflammasome-associated coronavirus inflammation and disease. Thank you for your attention, and bye for now.